0: Good morning. Thank you and the elders and Pastor Kevin for allowing me to speak today. You know, we live in a time where we are bombarded with people that want to separate our money to them. And newspapers, mail flyers, our phones, the internet, it just goes on and on that people are always trying to do that, and some of them are are good things. In my church experience, I've heard many sermons that go along the lines of bring the whole tithe and offerings into the storehouse. It's Malachi 3.10. And um, frankly, I haven't heard that here, and I'm glad for it. And I think, looking back, I think many of those were really spiritual abuse, that they were not looking at my heart, they were looking at their building budget or whatever it may be. In my work, I have a book that's about the size of a Bible. It has all kinds of codes and tables and formulas that we use. And if I'm going to be right with the inspector, I need to be able to justify myself to him by those. If you look in the back of your Bible for the formulas and tables, You're not going to find one, right? There's no table that says, you're 40 years old, you have two kids and a wife, and you make this much, and here's the right thing for you to do. Because it's a matter of the heart. And Jesus gave us really two rules, two things that we should do. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, and might. And love thy neighbor as ourself. ourself." So, as we look at that, we're going to talk about giving today. And um, we have many, many verses that we could look at. We're not going to try to do that. We're going to try to narrow it down to something and that's uh, manageable, but the list goes extensively on. And as I read, I, I see those and I kind of pick up on them because it's something that I'm interested in. Uh, Really, our text today is in the basis of 2 Corinthians 9. And um, I think if we apply this to our life first, it'll be... uh, Okay, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must do just as he has decided in his heart. We would say she... He or she, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. If we apply that to our life, I think we're in pretty good stead. If I'm reluctant to part with what's in my wallet, maybe the motive is wrong or maybe it's not the right one for me. If I'm under compulsion, feeling like somebody's watching me, God's watching me, it's the right thing to do. I really don't want to. then it's not any good either. But when our heart is right, and if our heart is right, our giving to the Lord will be right, then everything will be okay. And that we should do it cheerfully and joyfully. I mean, uh, I have some things that I support regularly, and I like it. The, the good that it's orphanages and those kind of things. And I... It brings joy to my heart. Now, I would put a check in the offering, and I don't go skipping out the back. I don't know that it needs to be that kind of joy. (laughs) But it's still saying, okay, I feel good about what's going on here and what I'm doing. We have the story in Acts 9 of Tabitha, who had died, and God's going to use Peter to raise her up again. But they're talking about Tabitha, and it says she excelled in acts of kindness and charity, which she did habitually. Now, you got to love that. Somebody that's being kind, charitable, she's making gifts, and it's part of who she is. It's habitual. In Romans 12, 8, we have that the... The gift of generosity in the body is leading to love and contributing to the needs of the saints. Now, most certainly it is not just our money that we give. We give our time, our energies. And in this body, I see a great deal of great things going on. Uh, Somebody builds a clothing closet. Somebody mans it. Somebody gets out a bulletin. Somebody does Kids Church, somebody does Good News Club, and the list could go on of great things that are going on, because people are not just giving of a check, but they're giving of their time, they're giving of themselves, really, to the body. Now, perhaps some of you uh, would will disagree with, I, with some of the things I say, and I'm going to be kind of address what I call the elephant in the room and to be honest I'm probably largely out of step with most of the churches in the state or America or in this county in my thinking but it's really uh, dealing with the Malachi 310 and I want to go there because it was what I was taught and lived and believed for many years I no longer do so Malachi 3, verse starting in verse 8, says, Would anyone rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, How have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the entire nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so there may be food on my house, and put me to the test in this. Now, the principles of the Old Testament remain true. God hasn't changed. But I think we need to be careful as we take some of the promises or some of the things that are written and say that applies directly to us. I would say we're not the nation of Israel. I would say we're not under a curse if you don't do the tithe. I'd say there's a difference between the local church and the storehouse that was used to feed the poor and many other things, that there's a difference there. But the principle of giving remains true. I find it surprising that so many people that would teach grace to us in our lives, graves in almost all areas, would hearken back to this verse or others like it to bring us back under the law. So, um, because we're not under the law, do we have a responsibility to our heart, to God, to give? We certainly do. But I would say, if your heart is right, if you're seeking him, if you're knowing him, the giving will be right. And we might say, is the law of the harvest true? The law of the harvest being... Whatever you give, that you will receive back. Whatever you plant, that you will sow. And I think the Bible is pretty clear on that principle in that he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but he who sows generously will reap generously. I believe that's a true principle right up to the point where we begin to think, I'm going to game God and I'm going to give to him and he's got to give back then that negates the whole thing. We give out of uh, care and generosity and things. Now, could 10% be a good rule for you? The tithe is 10%. If that's what's in your heart, I'd say yes. If that's what you feel like you should do, but do it based on what the heart and the Holy Spirit has convicted us or convinced us of, not what the law says. So who do we give to? What are our examples that we have? I believe that we should support this church. I believe in its ministries. I believe that the building needs maintenance, lights, power. I believe in full-time ministers, such as Pastor Kevin. That the outreach that we would take are, are good things Are biblically mandated or... I don't... That sounds like it's... That's not the word I want to use, but you understand. Some of the things we do together we could not do alone. That uh, together we can jointly take on things that we couldn't otherwise. So I believe in supporting the church. In my experience, I've also seen churches where they become inwardly focused. It's a building, it's staff, it's more stuff, it's... And really what they become is self-consuming. No different, really, than a health club that you might go to and pay your fee. You go, you pay your fee, you get to work out, you get to do those things, you get some benefit from it. And that's not what we want to do. That's not what I want to do. Now, I did go for a church to a church for a while when I was younger that had a building program, went through the process, taught this law, and half of their income went to pay interest on the loan for the building they built. Half the income to the church went to pay interest on the loan. And I think, what a shame, and I don't want to speak for God, but I don't think he was pleased by that. So what are the biblical examples of giving that we have? Certainly, we, we give to the saints, give to each other, we would say. I think the number one example in all of the Bible that I see And I would say, guessing, I haven't counted them, five to one, is giving to the poor, the needy, the outcast, the widows, on those kind of things is really what I see an emphasis in our Bible, both Old and New Testament. We look at Job, Job was a man that, uh, Job 29, that God said, here's, to our enemy, he said, here's a man that you should take a look at. Now, Job did lose focus in a little bit and forgot that God is God, and he wasn't, and defended himself. But still, his words are true in 29.11, starting. He said, when an ear heard it and called me blessed, and when I saw it and testified in support of me, because I saved the poor who cried for help, and the orphan who had no helper, the blessing of one who was about to perish came upon me, and I made the widow's heart sing for joy. What a great example for us. Now, Job was a person of means, and today would be considered rich, I think, whatever that means. But um, he says, Here, here's what I did. And, and he did kind of overstep his bounds if we read the end of the book that God kind of corrected him. But we're going to let that go. James 1.27 says, pure religion is this, to look after, to visit the poor and the widows. James 2.17 says, faith without deeds is dead. That Our faith should show up in ways that we're helping others, helping the saints. And in Luke 19:8, we have the story of Zacchaeus, who had an encounter with Jesus and what I would call in conversion. And what he said was, here and today, I give half of my possessions to the poor. That's pretty powerful. So we have in this society a tax deduction, um, 50C3 company, uh, corporations, you can give to them. And at the end of the year, you get to write that off. And most of you are aware of that. And I take advantage of that when I can. I don't like our tax system, but I'm going to take what I can get. But I try not to let my decisions be based on that. I don't think God says, oh, well, what kind of corporation was this? I think what he'd say is, here's your neighbor, here's your friend, here's your family. So let's be sure that we don't use that as a qualifier. So we should, we should give to the poor, those in need. We should give to full-time workers, those that are doing full-time work in the gospel or helping the needy or whatever it may be. I love the story in uh, 2 Kings 4 of the Shumanite woman. And what she did was she built a room and fed Elisha so that on his travels through, he, he had a place to go. Now, interesting enough, when Naaman came to be healed by Elijah and was, Elijah would not take a gift from him. And uh, Naaman left, and Gehazi, his servant, went after him and said, Yeah, we'll take some of that good stuff anyway. And when he got back to Elisha, Elijah confronted him. And one of the things that he said was, Is now the time for taking gifts and vineyards and these kind of things? And I think the point to me was he didn't say there is never a time for somebody in full-time work, like a prophet, to take gifts. But that was the wrong time. But leading to me to think that there is a right time. And he did, just previously with the Shumanite woman. Luke 8, we have the, the list of people who supported Jesus. We know that Jesus and his disciples were on the road, so to speak, for about three years. And they doesn't. We don't have an account of Jesus ever asking for money. But we know his needs were taken care of. Him and the disciples were able to travel, and there were people that uh, assisted him. In Philippians four three, we have women who shared in Paul's ministry. And in four fifteen to nineteen, Philippians four fifteen to nineteen, the Philippians were supporting him. So clear, clearly, people from their heart or knowing of the need made decisions to support them. And I'm sure there's many, many more that are not listed They're just showed up. One of the best passages that I like for this giving to those in, in the work of the gospel full-time is in 1 Corinthians 9, really the 1 to 14. I'm not going to read the, the the whole passage, but it says... Uh, Should a soldier work at their own expense? These are rhetorical questions. The answer should be clear. Does someone plan a vineyard and not expect to eat from it? Do you muzzle the oxen while it threshes? Do priests eat of the sacrifice? And then the, the best one that I like is in verse 14, 9, 14. So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. So I think it's good and proper that we fund those people that do that in a reasonable way, reasonable standard of living. Now, the last point that I would make is on Wisdom. I struggle with this because I always want everything to be right and proper and what I want and things. But uh, at the same time, uh, we give money to somebody, something, some organization, and there's risk there. There's risk that they don't do the right thing. There's risk that they um, mislead us in some way. And I'm willing to accept that. I'm willing to say sometimes they don't do it. And then it's on them. But we should do this with wisdom. We have the account of Stephen in Acts, where him and seven others were appointed to oversee the widow's program and feeding. Now it says they had wisdom and the Holy Spirit. So I think they were using the wisdom God gave them. I assume that they had some kind of program. Some kind of time, somebody bought the food, somebody made sure that it was the right people there. Further in uh, 1 Timothy 5, 9, and 10, we have instructions that Paul gave Timothy on who should be on this widow's list, on on the list of who can receive these, these gifts from them and And Paul gives them some direction. Um, I don't know that I have them all, but uh, helping the saints, charitable, washing the saints' feet. Um, They needed to be over 60. And I don't know that we have to adopt their list, or I have to adopt their list. But I think what we should do is use wisdom that having a list is okay. That's saying, okay, um, we want to see these kind of people that we can help, and in today's society, we would use the word enabling. We don't want to enable people to live in ways that they shouldn't, but there is risk there. In Ephesians four twenty eight, we're told that people should be busy and working so they have something to share and probably would be very unpopular today, but Second Thessalonians 3, 10 to 13, we'll read this. Um, he gives some instruction on giving and who should get that, and no. also on working. And uh, I don't think you'd hear this from any politician today, but 3.10... For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now we command and exhort those in the Lord Jesus Christ to work peacefully and to earn their own bread. But as for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary of doing good. So there's this. That's pretty pretty harsh by today's standards. We have social ser- services and these different things, but um, he's saying as a standard, if you have people that are among you that are busy biodies they're not working, they're undisciplined. Don't support them. Let them let them go hungry. And I know that sounds terribly harsh, but. It's what he said. Now, the best giving I like is kind of like politics. The closer to home it is, the better, because you can see who the people are. Hopefully, you know the background on them, you know the history, you know what they're doing. We can't always do that. But, uh, you know, with the Internet now, you can look up national organizations, You can see what percentage actually makes it to the stated goals. You can see what their executive director makes. For probably 35 years, I supported one or three children with World Vision. and I really started this about three years ago, but I started looking and seeing what they're making and what they're doing. You know the World Vision director makes three million a year. It's a huge corporation, but still, um, and I don't want to persuade your giving on what you think is right. That's between you and the Lord. But for me, I thought I can find somebody that uh, can give to the poor and do better than that. guy named uh, Charlie Kirk. I don't know if anybody knows Charlie Kirk, well-known national speaker. I agree w- with most of what he has to say. Got a couple letters from him last month and asking for money. And so I thought, well, I, I kind of like the guy. He seems to have some good things. Looked him up. He makes $5 million a year. So I took those envelopes, and in a big, bold pen, I wrote back, Charlie, you don't need my money, and I sent it to him. <laughs> you know, um, for those who, who do work in charitable things, I think it's wrong and inappropriate. If you want to make m- big money, go to a corporation, become a director, and... Uh, I don't have problems if the market supports that, but don't ask for donations and then do that. Could I bring up one that's probably more controversial? Franklin Graham. Franklin Graham, who does many good things, excuse me, many good things, makes about a million a year between his group and his dad's. I just have to question, you know, Franklin. could you live on 300,000 or something? I mean, it it just kind of rubs me the wrong way. So we can look them up. We can be wise about that. We could as individuals. We we can as a church. And we should know the gimmicks. Let me say, if in your heart you feel guilt, pressure, public display, peers, coercion. I think you ought to back up and rethink, if, is that really something that I want to support? It should be from the heart, because I, you believe it's what God's calling you to do, and no other reason. I don't know if, uh, I'm sure all of you have seen it, the big thing anymore is matching gifts. Gifts. If you give a dollar, they'll give a dollar or ten or whatever it may be. I've seen it up to seven times. If you give a dollar, they'll give seven. And my dad, who has passed, he used to say, if somebody has a generous gift to give to an organization, why don't they just give it? Why all this strings? You do this, and..." but I think it's manipulation, and I'm not going to be part of that. If you've been to any auctions for for good organizations often, but I think they're misguided in some ways. They have raised the paddle. Have you seen raise the paddle? Nobody out there. I, I see it fairly often. The way it works is you're in a large group, and they have an organization, and they, you've got an auction number, and it usually starts something like this. Who would have $10,000 that they could give to this organization today? And it's not uncommon to see Several people raise their paddle with their number on it to significant applause. And then it goes down from there to $5,000 and 1500 And it gets down to about $25. And that's between them and the Lord. But the applause for $25 isn't near what it is for $10,000. And I wonder where the people's hearts are. I don't know. And where the reward is. When an organization could simply put an envelope on the table, say, tell us what you'd like to give, and we're going to add it up, and we can all be grateful for that. But to me, it's another, am I going to raise my paddle for $25 after somebody's done $10,000? I think there's a certain level of unwise peer pressure there. It's the time of year where a lot of organizations send out a mailer, flyer, a magazine, it says here you can give a goat to somebody in Africa, and I've done that before. And what I've started being more careful about is reading their information. And usually they're in attorney fee in attorney terms. It says something like, "We'll use your money any way you want. Forget about the goat." And so what you think in good measure is you're sending a goat to somebody. And it may well not end up being that. It just goes in their general fund and they disperse it. And to me, that's manipulation and really being deceitful. But you have to read the fine print. So as we get closing here, I'd like to come back to 2 Corinthians. And... To me, the heart of giving, God's heart of giving is here. And what we should do and what we should think. I hope I haven't offended anybody this morning or stepped on any toes. I may have. You can talk to me afterwards if you'd like or or give me your comments or questions. I'm certainly open to that. But if we could live by 2 Corinthians 9-7. Each each one must do just as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So thank you for this opportunity today. And I believe that Mark is going to come up and give us a, a word here.
1: So we, the uh, Elder Scott had an idea, and the the elders have agreed, including Pastor Kevin. So I'm going to read this letter to this letter to you. It's called Operation Glass, and uh, the acronym stands for Giving, Loving, and Sharing. So the Lord has blessed QBC, and we're in good a good financial situation right now. The elders meeting on eleven fourteen. The elders decide that we would encourage you, the fellowship, to do something different with the giving that you had planned to give to QBC for the month of December. The recommendation of the elders that you give all or part of that amount toward what we are calling Operation Glass, giving, loving, and sharing, and it's intended to be an opportunity to minister to those around you in a special way and direct in the name of the Lord Jesus. As always, you are free to do with your giving, whatever the Lord is leading you to do. However, should you choose to redirect all or part of your giving planned for QBC toward Operation Glass, the following are some suggestions. Uh, maybe buy shoes for a neighborhood child, pay for a neighbor's car repair, give a gift certificate to a family in need, donate to a favorite ministry or charity, buy Christmas gifts for a family experiencing economic hard times, pay an electric bill for someone, help someone with their medical bills, buy someone a plane ticket to see an aging relative, hand out a Costco pumpkin pie to the neighborhood, uh, buy a child's school supplies, buy some school supplies for a teacher, fill someone's tank with gas, be creative. The goal is to touch and bless someone in the name of Christ. And have fun doing it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just pray that we would give according to your needs, Lord, and to your glory. And that you would uh, we would give with uh, glad hearts. And be gracious in doing so, Lord. And we just thank you for all you give us. In Jesus' name, amen.